You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey there, true crime lovers. It's that time again, one of our favorite our favorite time, short case week. Like I said last month, like we said last month, we come across a few cases that we would love to discuss. Then we do all the research and realize that there's maybe only three articles total that we can read about it. So we both choose two cases out of our short case list and mash them up into one regular length episode. But before we get to the true crime stuff, it's still February. So we have two more self-care tips to share with you guys. Mine is to find something funny and entertaining on YouTube at the end of your day to end your day on a positive note. My favorite thing to watch on YouTube is Hi Ho Kids. Like, love those kids. <laughs> I've mentioned it here before, and they're like absolutely hilarious. They are. They're so cute. Kids right. say the darnest things ever. And although there are a couple, um, like sad or touchy episodes, they're so funny, and I can literally watch them all day long. Agreeable. I watched a couple of them when you like were sending me the list and stuff, and it was hilarious. It was so funny. It was like uh, I watched one where they met a plastic, surge, plastic surgeon. Yeah. <laughs> and a little girl at the end, she was like, okay, I heard what your job description does. So my sister my got sister three boobs. three boobies. <laughs> what can you do for her? And he was like, uh, I think that is not bothering her. And she's like, well, no, they're no, growing. No, it, it keeps growing. <laughs> they, they keep growing. And I'm like, uh, okay, somebody she get this little like, girl off. You know, we've talked to a couple surgeons, but they're all for grownups. There's nothing they can do about it. She's just a little girl. SOL. <laughs> Like, they are the cutest, though. That's where I love them. I just want to put it out there now. Like, I can't name a favorite because if I start to try to name a favorite kid, the list will go on through half the cast. No, I get that. But, like, (laughs) if there's ever an episode where Cavalli's grandfather, when they say Cavalli's grandparent, father, like, finally passed, I'm going to lose it. I don't know how (laughs) I'm going to react because it's so sad when they, like, talk to his granddad about his cancer yeah when there's an episode when he pat i'm a i'm gonna lose my mind <laughs> i know because you honestly like she doesn't want to say she has a favorite or anything like that or she'll name a whole list but Kavali really is one, like her top five Kavali's hilarious she literally sent me a message like just watch Kavali's moments i was like <laughs> okay a little biased but <laughs> but he's so funny and no, he's just like the episode of like just Kavali highlights are hilarious no they are like he like you would think like like, how old is this kid, really? Like, this is a grown man in the kid's body. And, like, the questions he asks, just the things that he say, I'm just like, he is, he needs to be my best friend. <laughs> so that's a pretty good one. Um, So mine is yoga. I've been getting into yoga a little bit more lately. And at first I kind of didn't see the point of, like, how can you, like, not stress What's with yoga? The point? Yeah, I really don't get the point of it, like, at first, but... Now that I do it more, I notice that, like, I be so focused on, like, doing the positions mm-hmm. than actually, like, stressing about everything else. Like, everything I'm so focused else. on that. And then, like. <laughs> You're so focused on trying to get the position. Yeah, right? I want to look like the person that's <laughs> showing me the position. I'm like, no, I don't, like, I, trust me. And then the thing is, I'm an overachiever. So, sometimes I try to do poses that I know dang well that I shouldn't be doing. But I'm so focused on that that everything else that was going on in my mind has went away. And then. <laughs> I was like really messing up at first when I started because I wasn't breathing because I was so focused on it. And now <laughs> I breathe and I focus. So it's been a game changer for me. So when I told you about that Facebook group that I'm in <laughs> and we did um, a 30 day yoga challenge in January. So everybody was like doing yoga with Adrian. Yoga with Adrian is cool. 
she's just really intense for beginners. Yeah. So I found an app that's a lot chiller than Adrian. Hopefully one day I'll be on Adrian's level. But for <laughs> now, I cannot. You're like, I'm going to stick to the daily yoga app. <laughs> <laughs> because you got to warm yourself up. Like, I really thought that yoga, you could just kind of no, jump right no. into it. But you can't. So, <laughs> hey, that's what's up. So Aaliyah is going to start off with the first case. And that is something I actually been like really looking because Aaliyah makes her notes so enticing, like her transcripts. It's in purple right now. So when I go in and put mine in, I'm like, I can't look at it. So, (laughs) no, but like if you guys follow us on Instagram, you see like the constant battle with me and Shelby (laughs) in our notes. (laughs) Yeah, because honestly, my notes are all like sparkly and different colors. How are you doing true crime in rainbow sets? Like, (laughs) her notes are in black ink. (laughs) Yeah, I don't even use blue ink. So when I do my to tell like to tell our our transcript for the short case is all on one page. So I try to make mine in a different color so it stands out or when I'm reading it I can I know where to stop and where to start. And it shows it's just in black. Yeah, mine's just in black. But I'm okay with that though, because you know, it fits me. It's really fitting for me. <laughs> it's a natural look. <laughs> and here's my bright purple. Yep. But my first case for this week is the disappearance of Cindy Moore. Cindy Lewis Moore, Cindy Louise Moore was a 28-year-old white female. She had brown hair and green eyes and was 5'7 and about 115 pounds. On May 23rd, 1986, Cindy Moore ended ended her shift at the post office in Troy, Michigan at 11 p.m. She was supposed to go to her soon ex-husband's house, William Moore, to pick up their um, son and warn. A co-worker saw her driving a black and si- her black and silver, silver 1984 Ford Tempo near the intersection of 14 Mile and 75 <clears throat> at 11.15 p.m. that night. That was in the direction of getting her son from Warren, but she never made it to him. She has not been seen or heard from ever since. Cindy and William around ten. T- t- <laughs> Cindy called William around ten p.m. to say that he, that she was running late. He called the police to report her missing the following morning when she had not yet arrived. It was thought that maybe she went to spend the holiday weekend with some of her friends because. Monday was Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. Maybe she had went off to celebrate with some friends without telling anyone. When she hadn't made it home by Tuesday, they knew things weren't good. Right, because she wouldn't just leave her son. Right. Like, like Nicholas that. was like her life. She wouldn't just leave him. Right. Especially starting up a divorce that was her son at that point was who she had. Yeah. And she wouldn't just, it wasn't like her to just up and leave her son. <clears throat> Cindy mo- Cindy's mother, Barbara Hicks, said that her daughter was not dating, and if she was going out somewhere, it would have been with a few close friends. William said that he believed that she had started hanging with the wrong crowd and staying out a lot. Cindy was living with her parents in Clarkston, but had made a down, po- a down payment on a mobile home for her and Nicholas in Auburn Hills. She had planned to move there soon with her son. She left behind all her clothes since her disappearance 
And since her disappearance, her bank account hasn't been touched. About a week after her disappearance, on May 30th, her car was found abandoned in a parking lot of the Abbey Theater at I-75 and 14 Mile Road. Police determined that it had been there since May 24th, the day after she went missing. There were no cameras in the parking lot, so it's really no telling how long her car had or telling how her car got there or when exactly it got hit there. Right. That was a busy movie going weekend because it was a holiday weekend. Right. And it's no telling like the trash around her car, any evidence around her car could have been mm-hmm. picked up. It was there for so long. Don't know how no telling how many people hit the car, bumped yeah. the car, erased fingerprints, bumping into the car, like anything could have happened in that parking lot that weekend. Because everybody has bumped the car in a parking lot a couple times. Right. Or I'm just like over overstating <laughs> it because I do it at least like Every trip, I I tend to bump into something a lot. I'm not the <laughs> most balanced person. <laughs> that Memorial Weekend was also rainy. And because her car wasn't spotted there until three days after that that uh, Memorial Day, mm-hmm. it's, like I said, any evidence could have just been yeah, erased. Yeah, all that could have been just gone or washed away right. at that point. The car was locked when it was found and the keys were nowhere around. They couldn't find any evidence of a struggle. Her husband was considered a main suspect in his disappearance. She claimed that he had assaulted her during arguments and grabbed her by her throat before. And that's what caused her to move out and into with, into the home with her parents. It didn't help William's case that he had just had his swimming pool be, uh, filled and covered after her disappearance. Wait, so after her disappearance, he had it covered? Yeah. Oh, wow. Not suspicious at all. Exactly. Insert sarcasm. But, <laughs> but in 1992, the police dug up his pool and his entire backyard in search of her body, but they didn't find anything. Cindy's co-workers chipped in to hire a private detective and hoping to find her. Her family, friends, and co-workers, and just people in general around the area, searched for her that entire summer. There, there, there was a theory that maybe Sydney wanted to start her life over and run away. If that were the case, you would think like she would take some of her clothes or take some money out of her account right. when she before she left. But she and I don't see that. her just starting over without her son. Without her son, I don't know. That's... And he was so young; it's like she could have easily started over yeah, by taking with, him. Yeah, with, with her. her. Hmm. That's really sad. <clears throat> yeah. She had just put a down payment on a new place for her and Nicholas. She was known as a loving and caring mother, not someone who would just pick up and leave her son. Others suspected suicide, but still, where's her body, her keys, her purse, like everything that she had with her that day? The the one that people most suspect is that she was murdered. Maybe she went to meet someone and they took her away to never be seen again. That's really... It's kind of like, like, is eerie the right word for it though? Like, never knowing what happened. Never knowing that's, what happened to your child. That's the one thing I don't mom, like about, like, I love, wife. yeah, I love missing cases and all, and did, like, this experience, like, to do them and stuff. But then at the same time, those are also the ones that keep me up a lot longer because I'm like, I don't know the answer and I need exactly. to know the answer to everything. Everything. Yeah, I need to know what happened. So, to stay in the theme of Valentine's Day, my first short case for you all is a murder that took place on Valentine's, which was kind of hard to um, find one because we discussed it. Like, Leah was like, were you going to do a case that's on Valentine, like related to Valentine's Day? 
And I'm like, the only thing that was popping up was something about the Purple Gang. And I was like, I don't want to talk about them right now. Like, they're actually worth. (laughs) Yeah. And they're they're worth an episode of its own. Yeah. So, you know how First 48 is known for their clever and funny episode titles? I feel like if they would have covered this case, it would have been something like My Bloody Valentine or something like that. Because we all know (laughs) they're they're petty. Um, Because if this is a long case, that would definitely have been the name for that I chose to pick it to, uh, to make the case. So, 43-year-old Dawn Dixon B. called police to tell them that her boyfriend, 49-year-old Gregory Stacks, had been stabbed in their home on 807 Stewart in Jackson, Michigan. She went on to say that she believed that he was stabbed during an altercation with some other people prior to her getting home, and that once she did get home, she found him on a couch dead. Later on, she admitted that it was actually her who did the stabbing, and that she was only (laughs) acting in self-defense. So, that story just... Why did you just... Why did you just say... He was after me and I killed him. Yeah, I I don't know. That sounded better at the time. I don't know, maybe quicker to get the police there. I don't know what she was thinking. Don claimed that Gregory had been drinking and he had become abusive and physical the day of the killing. She said that he had also thrown a dog cage at her. And while in the heat of things, Gregory had this evil blank stare on his face and began to push, shove, and grab her. She stated on the stand during her trial that normally there was someone in the house when he got when they got into these altercations to stop him. But this was the first time that they were alone and she wasn't quite sure what Gregory would do to her with nobody being there to stop him. Yeah, they were in the kitchen when she grabbed the knife and she even said she was just holding it like down at her side when she grabbed it and she yelled at him to leave her alone. She then states that. Gregory launched at her. She closed her eyes, and when she opened them again, Gregory had lifted up his shirt to see the stab wounds in the heart that she had just done. Yeah. That's why I wanted to name it my bloody Valentine. Like, she really went for the heart. Um, She then said that he just walked into the living room, sat on the couch, and died. Okay. Yeah. From this story alone, it sounded like she really was defending herself until police arrived on the scene, and they concluded that something else had happened instead. Her story just didn't seem like it was adding up. Authorities said that the act seemed more premeditated than the act of self-defense. And it was also said that Gregory was actually stabbed while on the couch and that it seemed as if it was more premeditated than self-defense due to the fact that Gregory had no defense wounds, just the two knife wounds on his chest. And there wasn't even anything under his nails to suggest like, you know, maybe there was a struggle. She had also had an incident before. Here it is, where she stabbed Gregory, and that was definitely brought up in court. So this was something so that she she's done before. Him in an argument, yeah, she stabbed him before. This wasn't her first body, Leah. <laughs> so also, Don had gotten rid of the murder weapon, and it still hasn't been recovered to this day. The trial lasted for eight days, and she was originally charged with first degree murder. But on January twenty seventh, two thousand sixteen. The jury convicted her instead instead for a second degree, which doesn't need the requirement of being premeditated. Mm -hmm. The judge over the case had very strong emotions about this case and made comments like only a cold blooded and depraved heart could do something like this. And he also told her the only flaw that Gregory Stacks had was staying in a relationship with her. (laughs) This has been the most vocal judge that I've like encountered in research so far. And I was like, "Hmm, I didn't know they had that much to say. Like they could say so much. The judge cited the guidelines of 12 to 20 years, but he said that this does not account for the cold-blooded nature of two stab wounds in the heart. In response, Dawn, Dawn said that she had allowed fear to take over her at the moment and that Greg, killing Gregory is her burden that she has to live with for the rest of her life. 
Dawn ended up filing an appeal and said that the claims deprived her of her constitutional rights during the trial. She said that the court admitted evidence from the first time she stabbed Gregory <laughs> and also the detective who testified and said that it didn't look as it was um, the scene was an act of self-defense isn't an expert in those kind of things. And that's what really persuaded the jury. But if you did this before. Right. Why would you why would you mention doing it before? It, it's just like because it was I think it was on record. So and then they can bring that up against you. You have a history of stabbing people. <laughs> I think that upset. needs to she be known. That they did bring it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the audacity. <laughs> so <laughs> it was also said that his claims were incorrect and that it also helped the jury to make their decision as well. So, yeah, she this was definitely something like she she when she was in court, she tried to come off as like remorseful, but it was just like, I don't really believe it, though. Like you stabbed him before you did it. And you stabbed them in the heart twice. And you only said when like when the police arrived that you did it once in self-defense. So it was just like a lot of blanks in her story. Right. So I don't know. She didn't think that they were going to notice two stab wounds instead of one. Right. I don't know. But hey, that's Don. What? Don B. Dixon. <laughs> so, yeah. And it was crazy. Though. I'm like, wow, this is like it kind of feels like a real Valentine's case because <laughs> right to the heart. Like she's she tried to play Cupid. <laughs> it's like a really sick version of Cupid. <sighs> Eric, you're up. Okay, so the next case is really short, like two paragraphs short. <laughs> so it's another missing case on Lisa Marie Knight. Lisa Marie Knight Knight Frey was a twenty five year old white woman. Um, she was about five feet tall and 120 pounds with blonde hair and green eyes. Lisa was really into art and was accepted to, into art school, but had been struggling with a drug addiction since she was a teenager. She wanted to get her life together in order for her, in order for her four children. She knew that she couldn't take care of them the way they, the way that she needed to and gave them up to other families who would. In 2012, she was working to clean up her life. She was once married to a much older to her much older husband, Lloyd Frey. They had two children together. Lloyd was not a great influence on her life, but she loved him. She had a large tattoo on her chest with his name in it. Mm, that's that's love right there, right? Like across that's... her whole chest. Oh wow! A tattoo of his name. Mm, that's intense. You didn't even get it like a little spot on your butt or something. No. <laughs> <laughs> like somewhere hidden. Somewhere a lot more that could be Not hidden. Everybody gonna see that. Yeah. Although the couple had divorced, they had an on and off relationship. On June eighth, two thousand twelve, the two had planned to go visit their youngest son. Even though the visit didn't happen, she still went to his house. Or she still went to Lloyd's house. And at ten thirty, Lisa called her friend asking her to please come get her. Then later backed out, saying she didn't need a ride. Her mother thinks she overdosed. Her mother thinks she overdosed on drugs, and her body was disposed of. Her father shut down the allegations of her running running off to do drugs because throughout her addiction, she had never gone missing before. Yeah, so it's not like she had behavior, right? It's not like she had this behavior of just 
the one of the ones who that runs get what they need and leave for however long and then come back when they yeah when they need more when they need somewhere to sleep she never disappeared during out her um throughout her addiction and it's that's where like they keep having these cases where like the women with kids are just just leaving just like disappearing. i get like like i don't i don't see that yeah. especially if she is she doesn't have a history of it yeah they just want to know where their daughter is to give her the proper burial she deserved. Yeah, and as they should though, everyone deserves um everyone deserves answers. Right. We actually did a um like a little poll on Facebook, you guys, of asking like Yeah, of like the cases you guys like and like for the most part everyone's like murder fans and stuff, which yeah, you guys are had crazy. enough missing, so we had to throw some into the short cases because there's not a lot of background behind missing cases yeah and i think that we get so caught up in like having an ending all the time that we're like we kind of go straight for like the murder cases though so we do we are going to try to add more yeah and i think i got a missing case coming up for march too that's pretty big and i'm pretty sure i think a lot of people have been asking me about but yeah so we actually listen to you guys (laughs) right (laughs) all right the next case i'm going to tell you about i'm not quite sure if this is a missing case a suicide or just someone who really wanted a fresh start with no strings attached. I'm just going to leave this up to you guys. And I wish there was more from this story because my brain has came up with so many theories that I don't know how I got any sleep working on this. Connie Converse, whose name at birth was Elizabeth Eaton Converse, was born August 3rd, 1924. Her brother described her as outspoken, brave and wildly talented. She also excelled in all of her academic programs and was valedictorian in high school. She whooped to her because uh, <laughs> high school stressed me out. I just wanted to get done. <laughs> My mom at graduation, <laughs> when Jasmine was giving her speech, she was like, that's Aaliyah's best friend. She got valedictorian. Aaliyah over there sitting with everybody else. <laughs> like, well, first off, there can only be one. <laughs> Which I think we actually had we like had two. We had two. Yeah. yeah. That was weird, but cool. Her father was a minister. I hate that one because um, I'm reading off of my phone and it like decides to edit on its own. <laughs> her father was a minister and her mother was a musical teacher. She was raised as a Baptist and it was said that her parents were really strict. As a sign of rebellion, Elizabeth changed her name to Connie and started drinking and smoking, which I had a phase where I wanted my parents to call me Storm because, yeah, I had this, like, emo phase when I was in high school. And I was like, yeah, don't call me Shelby. And my dad was like, girl, I'm not calling you that. <laughs> but her name picked up. So her parents' response to her rebelling, rebelling against them was pretty much not acknowledging her music career. And her dad even died without hearing a song from her. And she also had, like, a performance on TV once, and they didn't even watch it. No, it really suck if my parents weren't supportive at all. Like, I know. I feel like it's Crafting, stressful. they pay for almost everything. <laughs> and then, like, the podcast thing, they listen. Like, it would really yeah. suck if parents didn't support, my parents didn't support what yeah, I Yeah, I feel like that's, like, because you, like, no matter what, you aim to please your parents. Exactly. Like, and it's just like, I'm trying. So, I feel like that also played a part in, like, later on in the situation. So in the mid-50s, Connie moved to New York and shared a place with a group of friends who actually supported and encouraged her musical career. They would have Connie perform at little parties that they threw. And while trying to jump kick her music career, Connie worked at a printing firm to pay the bills. Because, you know, you got to have something to pay the bills in the daytime. (laughs) She met Gene Deitch, which I'm pretty sure I'm not saying his name right, and recorded a song in his kitchen. 
When Jean thought back on the music Connie made, he said that all of her songs were really about her when he thinks about it. The song always dealt with sexual frustration and loneliness. And although her songs had an underlying meaning to them, they were ahead of their time. They had a certain depth and intimacy to them that just wasn't around in those days. And it was just like, like, they were saying, like, this is the way that she was. Like, she was the first to, like, like, the first kind of, like, the... OG of like Taylor Swift kind of because she was like a singer and a songwriter too. Mm -hmm. So she began to grow discouraged and restless and began to drink and smoke a lot more than she originally did. And her friends like it came after like her like Jean and along with her friends tried so hard to get Connie's music out there but it was like no matter what they did. She yeah it just yeah nothing was ever successful and she was watching all these other musicians like blow up and stuff like that and she's like yeah so it made her it definitely had her feeling some kind of way she then turns her back on music and moves to Ann Arbor close to her brother Phil who worked at university at the University of Michigan in Michigan she finds work as a journalist but her brother noted that Connie was growing more and more tired with the routine life and that she craved more. Like he just ne- he's seen it in her eyes that like mm-hmm. this was this was not for her. Right. In 1973, she found out that she needed a hysterectomy and this just crushed her. Her friends I noticed. Yeah. Her friends noticed that she had been really down. So they scraped together some money for a trip to London and she stayed there for about eight months. Like that's those are some pretty oh, nice friends. friends. Yeah. And although the gesture was so kind from her friends, the trip really didn't improve her mood at all. A few months after this trip, her mom invites her to a trip to Alaska that she was taking with her friend. Connie constantly told her brother that she really didn't want to go because at this point, she was drinking and smoking more than ever. And she knew that she couldn't really do this on a trip with two elderly ladies, especially like her mom was being the strict Baptist that she was. Her brother stated that she didn't really know how to turn her mom down, so she just went anyway. He also said that the trip with her mom might have been the thing that pushed her off the edge. In the summer of 1974, around the time of her 50th birthday, Connie sent out letters to her family and close friends. In the letters, she stated things like she wanted to have a fresh start and start elsewhere. And one letter even stated, human society fills me with grief and joy. I just can't find my place to plug into it. Which is, that's pretty deep. Right. After sending these letters out to the loved ones in her life, Connie packed her belongings into her Volkswagen Beetle and was never heard from or seen again. The first question that popped up to my head when I was reading this was, although her family and friends got these letters, and like it seemed like her friends paid for this trip to London for her and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, so it was not like she didn't have anyone that cared for her. The main question that came to my head was, did they even try to look for her? I couldn't imagine like getting a farewell letter like that and not following up like yeah. immediately as I'm getting it. I'm calling like, uh, what are you talking about? Like this? No, you <laughs> no, you're not just about to start over. Her youngest brother, who was the only remaining survivor of the Converse family, said that years later, after the disappearance, someone told him that they saw the name Elizabeth Converse in a phone book. Phil admits that he was embarrassed and couldn't bear to reach out to her because she told him that she wanted a fresh start and it was her choice to leave. He didn't want to just barge into her new life and she, that she just set up for herself, which if that's my brother. And like when I was doing research on it, Phil and Connie had a really close relationship. Like mm-hmm. she like he mentioned it like not to like the extent where like her parents made her. But he was like, I looked at her as like a, a parent, like 
as well. Like she would always look out for me and like she would always do things for me. She always spent time with me and stuff like they really had a close relationship. So I feel like even if he did show up, she wouldn't she wouldn't have turned him down. Like, I, I don't I don't think so. Right. Her music eventually hit a bigger audience in 2004 when her music was released by Gene, who made a name for himself by then. By the year 2015, 18 records of Connie's were published, and she had a following a lot bigger than when she was alive. Her voice and talent alone was just too advanced for the time that she was in. And it's sad that it took, like, after she disappeared for all this time that, like, she got the recognition, the recognition that she should have got back she then. she wanted her whole life, basically. Yeah. Although her family and friends received those letters and her brother Phil didn't actively seek her out, they all came to the conclusion that Connie drove off a bridge and into a lake or river somewhere west of Michigan. Well, yeah, we'll never know what happened to Connie Converse, but what I do know is that her music forever left its imprint in many people's lives. That definitely, that case, like, really had me thinking for a while, like, what made you guys think that she ran into That she ran into the... Like, that's a... Like a lake. Why couldn't she just be off somewhere else? She could be in California having the time of her life. But it's like, even though you guys came to that conclusion, it was just like... No one thought to, like, maybe we should have a search a team search check party. these, like, just to be sure. Like, I don't know. Like, I, it just seems too, like, okay, that she made that. Quickly. Yeah, they let go pretty easy on this. So, I don't know. I just can't imagine myself doing that. But you never know if, like, they knew. I guess her brother seen how miserable she was. But I don't know. I still wouldn't be able to let that slide, though, just as easy as the way it was. So, those are our short cases for... February, and we hope you guys like them. Aaliyah's gonna have me pick out a random question now. I'm just gonna like wait. Did you pick one out? Oh yeah, I just used the generator. I think it was like 7:23. Oh okay. Wow, this one <laughs> this one's pretty. I don't know if I could do this one. All right, question 7:23. What's one thing could you easily live without? Mm-hmm. TV. Really? Yeah. Well, does it count if I watch Netflix and Hulu on my phone? That's yes, that counts. Yeah, never mind that. <laughs> like, I don't really watch TV, but it's still like I have the certain shows that I have the shows that I have to watch, and then like there's YouTube. Yeah, okay. Netflix so I feel like you don't particularly need a TV then. Like, okay, okay the, like TV the TV itself. itself I can go without shows. a TV itself, but the shows, yeah, like yeah, the TV itself, I'll get rid of. I can I can live without that. Like I literally spent like my TV is just now being used often now because like when my boyfriend comes over, he turns like he watches the news and stuff like that. And I'm like, dude, this TV works. I haven't turned, I haven't plugged this thing in in months. Like, <laughs> it's nothing wrong with my TV. I actually got a nice one, but it's just like, my dad brought me a TV and I was just like, it's just going to sit in the living room. I don't, he's like, well, make it a decoration and I don't care. And I'm like, all right. I like hang like my little headbands on it sometimes if I'm like in a rush or like throw my coat over it. Like, I don't use TVs. I'd rather use my phone. I use it for light. Yeah. At night. Uh-huh. That makes sense. I got a lamp in my room, so I still don't use the TV. <laughs> when the kids are over, I give them my laptop. They watch the laptop. I forget that I have a TV for the most part. Like, you would think I lived, like, in Stone Age times. <laughs> my house is, like, so quiet. So, yeah, I could live without the actual TV. Um, okay. I would say chocolate because I hate chocolate, but I use it for cake decorating cakes and stuff. So maybe burgers. Oh, I've been craving a burger. I hate burgers. Oh, I love burgers so much. And that's what I've been eating all week. I can't wait to, like, I really I want just, like, a really. I don't know what it really... is. I just don't like, I don't eat burgers. I don't know why. 
<laughs> you know what? That's so true. I've never seen you eat one. <laughs> I hate burgers. I never paid attention to that before. Hmm. Huh. We go to the basement burger bar and I get a salad. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> Even David's have, looking at you funny. Like, who are you? Salads. That's like going to McDonald's and asking for a side salad. Like, get the fries. Like, <laughs> I go to the basement burger bar. I get a salad and mozzarella sticks. Okay, the mozzarella. Really contradicting yourself there, Liam. <laughs> Do you want to be healthy or not? Oh, uh, the healthiness. I don't care. I just like salad. <laughs> okay, so. That's the end of our first short. Well, not our first, but like, that's the end of the short case episode for this case. month. That's not our first one. It's our second one. So we hope you guys liked it. <laughs>